0: Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better. So drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. Or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries podcast show. This is your host, David Spirik. We're so glad that you've joined us today. You know, we're building one of the best audiences out there in podcast land. You couldn't get a better audience than those who love Jesus with all their hearts and who want to disciple others. So we're excited about this group that uh, we've started here, and thank you so much for joining us. You know, this week, we've received some positive feedback about our show. And the people who have uh, talked to us have said that they in, they've enjoyed listening, they've enjoyed learning, and they've enjoyed growing in their faith. So we're excited about having a positive impact on those around us. This week, we also checked our website analytics and found out that uh, over the past couple of months, we've had over 1,300 page views. And our audience size has grown to over 350 people. And this doesn't even include our traffic statistics on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other platforms out there on the internet. So we are excited about how God is growing this ministry. But we'd like to meet you personally. We'd like to ask you to drop on over to our website and leave us some feedback. Let us know who you are and let us know from where you're listening To get to know you even better, we've started a Saturday Night Live Google Hangout Fellowship. It's Saturday nights, uh, our time here in Ukraine, and then it would be Saturday afternoon in the United States. So if you'd like to visit with us face-to-face on live video chat, then jump on over to our website on Saturday Afternoons. On www.disciplemakingministries.org slash live, we'll post a link that you can click on and it will let you join our video hangout together. We are able to speak with both English and Russian speakers, so we'd love to see you there. You know, as we've stated a number of times on our show, our vision is to engage, encourage, equip, and empower believers internationally so that they can start their own disciple-making movements among their family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and local churches. We're building an international network of disciple-makers to do just that. In fact, you might even say that we are building an end times army of disciple-makers to finish the great commission that Jesus started. We've already been working with people from around the world Currently, we're working with people from Ukraine, from the Americas, from Africa, from Asia, and even from the Middle East. This week, we were contacted by a church planter in the country of India about the possibility of coming and training disciples there. And this week, we also talked with a local Ukrainian who's interested in helping us produce some discipleship video content Also, we have a local contact who is considering translating some of our content into the Arabic language. So we praise the Lord for how he's expanding our network of disciple-makers among many different language groups. Now, we've taken a personal risk to start this new ministry. We've put behind things such as our home, as our family, our church position, our possessions, and even the methods of ministry that we are comfortable with. And we have sold out completely to the Great Commission mandate to follow the mission and the methods that Jesus used. This is quite a humbling experience, to be honest with you. This is something that is bigger than ourselves. This is something that takes a lot of faith. And there's no way that we can accomplish our vision in our own strength. We realize that. You know, we have to rely completely on the Lord to provide everything that we need. We have to rely on the Lord to teach our audience the truth about making disciples. We have to rely on our Lord to produce the fruit through us. And so this is a great adventure in faith, and we are absolutely convinced that God wants you to join us in this adventure Now today, we are continuing this great adventure in disciple-making. We are on episode number nine. We've been going through this series entitled, The Essential of Disciple-Making. First of all, we learned that an essential of disciple-making is hope. In order to disciple someone, you have to have a hope for a better future for them. The second in our series, we talked about the essential of faith in disciple-making Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. If you're going to make disciples, you have to not only have hope, but you have to step out in faith in that hope and pursue that discipleship relationship with them. And then we talked about the essential of love in disciple-making. Love is what really impacts a person and makes an impression on their life. Love is going to make a greater impression on your disciple than any spiritual gift or power or anything that you can do for them. They've got to see the genuine love in your heart that Christ has put there. And then we saw also about the essential of prayer. Prayer is the power behind the process of disciple making. We learned that you can have, oh, the greatest plan, the greatest process, and know all the principles of disciple-making, but every situation is unique, and in order to get through the situation, you need prayer for the Holy Spirit to guide you through the process. And then last week, we discussed the essential of identity in disciple-making. The best disciple-makers that I know out there are those who have settled their identity in Christ and they know whom Christ has called them to be as a disciple-maker. You see, you are who you think that you are in your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So will he walk in his life. So will he act among other people. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the essential of intentionality in disciple-making but before that i also want to share another story with you this week i received an email from a previous disciple of mine and they wanted me to fill out an application for a reference so that they could attend a ywam discipleship training school in order to become a missionary Oh wow, that just brings such joy to my heart, knowing that not only did I impact that person, not only did Christ work in their heart, not only did we spend those three months together in a discipleship group, but now this person wants to go out and become a missionary. That is the power of discipleship, the power that you can have in influencing one person to go out and influence others for Christ. After the break, we'll return with our main topic on the essential of intentionality in disciple-making. ¶¶ the Once upon a time, there were two young men who were fishing above a low dam on a river near their hometown. As they were concentrating on catching fish, they were unaware that they had drifted until they were not far from the water flowing over the dam. When they realized their situation, the current near the dam had become too powerful for them to keep their boat from going over. Below the dam, the water was dashing with strong force over the great boulders and through crevices in the rocks. Caught by the swirling waters under the rocks, they never came back up to the surface. After days of relentless searching, the divers finally found one body, and then, two or three days later, the other. You know, there is danger in drifting. If you're not careful... You can end up under the swirling waters at the bottom of the circumstances of your life. Many believers are living the life of drifters. They have no purpose. They have no intentionality. They just want to keep on fishing, not realizing that they're going in the wrong direction and that there's danger ahead. Perhaps some of you out there are drifting through your life, and you've drifted away from the purposes that God has called you to live. You've lost intentionality, you've lost direction, and you've lost purpose for life. Both Christians and disciple-makers are called to beware of drifting. What are some characteristics of drifting that you should beware of? Well, first of all, beware of the fact that drifting requires no effort. Just stop oaring or just stop striving against the wind. And before you know it, you will begin to drift. The wind will push you where it wants and the waves will push you where they want. And you'll be pushed along with the crowd. A second characteristic of drifting is that drifting is an unconscious process. In a boat, undercurrents are often unnoticeable from the surface. In a plane, the wind or gravity forces move the plane without you even realizing it. The same is true in the spiritual realm. There are many forces that are tugging at you that can cause you to drift without you even knowing it. Many believers have slowly drifted away into error. Many churches have slowly drifted away into error, only finding themselves far away from the solid foundation of the scriptures. A third characteristic of drifting is that we never drift upstream or against the tide. Instead, we drift downstream and away from our goal. Faith is like something that you have to constantly add to. In fact, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7 reads, Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, add moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And then you have to keep adding over and over again. You see, it takes diligence. It takes effort. It takes addition and supplying one thing upon another for you to be successful in the Christian life. The moment you stop growing is the moment that you start moving backwards or moving downwards. You must continue to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 reminds us, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You have to keep growing, keep pressing forward, keep pushing on to the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. A fourth characteristic of drifting is that the speed downstream continues to increase. The dangers increase with the speed of your drift. By the time that you've heard the waterfall, it's too late. You're going over. The farther and farther you move away from the Lord, the more and more quickly you move away from the Lord. A fifth characteristic of drifting is that drifting downstream is dangerous to others around you. Just think of a ship that is adrift in the sea or in the harbor. It becomes a hazard to all other vessels nearby. Parents who are drifting when it comes to raising their children soon lose the opportunity to teach their children. Teachers who are at drift when it comes to teaching in the school, they lose opportunities to impact their students. Government leaders, when they lose track of their position and their responsibility, then they also drift away and damage those around them. Disciple makers, when they drift off the task of making disciples, then they lose precious opportunities to influence and impact the world that they're in. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming, But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Did you catch that? We are to avoid the drifting and being carried about by the winds of every doctrine and the trickery of men in deceitful scheming. Drifting is dangerous to others. And then the sixth characteristic about drifting that I want to mention in this segment is that drifting downstream will end in shipwreck. A boat adrift will eventually crash on something, either the rocks or the other boats around it. For those who drift spiritually through their own neglect will not escape their just punishment. Hebrews 2, 1-3 describes such a group of people who are drifting away from the truth. Let's read. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. Every transgression and every disobedience received a just penalty. How then will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, there's danger in drifting. Not only are individual believers drifting, but also the local churches are drifting. This past week, I was counseling with someone who was concerned about the direction of the local church They were concerned that the members of the local church were just being passive and showing up on a Sunday, and they weren't really allowed to participate and learn and grow and develop their spiritual gifts. And you know what? I had to agree with him. Few churches are giving their congregations any compelling vision of personal involvement in discipleship. Even fewer churches than that are placing any sort of measurable expectation on their members to go out and do evangelism and discipleship. And even fewer churches than that are teaching and training their members in a reproducible discipleship process that includes spiritual growth plans, spiritual health assessments, and discipleship resourcing. My point is that today's Protestant evangelical church has never really fully exited the religious system of the 4th century. Oh sure, the Reformation targeted the issue of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but after that, they mostly stopped right there. Today, believers are spiritually stuck as spiritual infants, saved by grace through faith, but having no idea where to go from there. How is the church drifting? Well, the church has drifted into promoting a pastor above the priesthood of the believers. Just like in the 4th century, the religious leader has all the authority, all the responsibility, and all the job position, while the people are just expected to come and sit on a Sunday... And give their money and go home unchanged, untransformed, and ineffective out in the world in which they're living. And then they're expected to come back the next week and repeat the same process over and over again. Being lulled into the sense that they are doing something when in reality they are just in this constant cycle of swirling water that drags them over the cliff into unproductivity. Churches have drifted to the point of ignoring and even prohibiting the use of spiritual gifts among their members. It's exactly like the head telling the arms and the legs that I don't need you anymore. Oh sure, the pastors will complain and gripe saying that only 10% of the congregation does 90% of the work. But then they turn around And they don't train the 90% to go out and do the work, nor do they release them to do the work, nor do they trust them to do the work. Churches have drifted over the edge, and because of that, they have become largely ineffective, unproductive, not producing spiritual fruit, and not influencing the world around them for the kingdom of God. Another way that churches have drifted off Jesus' methods and his path is that churches have bought into the lie that ministry involves building larger physical buildings rather than building the kingdom of God. You know what? When Jesus came here, he didn't preach saying, I come to build buildings. No, he said, behold, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. In our churches today, they have drifted away from the methods and the mandate and the mission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And another thing that churches have done to drift away from Jesus and his principles is that churches today have promoted programs, seminaries, education over real-life relational transformation. Just think of it. All the money, all the time, all the energy that's poured into structures, poured into educational facilities, poured into this training. Jesus never did any of that. Jesus never even wrote a book. That is, other than inspiring the Bible, of course. No, Jesus' classroom was the world of life. Jesus taught his disciples as they were walking along the fields, as they were living out life, he taught them every single day and every moment from just the experiences of life that they were going through. Another way that our churches have drifted away is that churches have become completely focused on acquiring finances from people to finance their big structures and their empires. Instead of Focusing on giving of finances to help and support the poor and needy. They say, give us your tithe, give us your money, and we'll build bigger buildings with it. And we'll pay bigger salaries. And we'll hire more staff. Where did Jesus say any of that in the scriptures? Jesus was all about giving. Taking care of the poor, the disadvantaged, the foreigners, the sick, the elderly, And another way that churches have drifted today is that churches today are seeking out larger crowds. They promote this great, exciting entertainment with worldly music styles. Did you know that Jesus turned away the crowds? Jesus was more interested in transforming the hearts of individuals than in gathering a crowd of 10,000 people. Another way that churches have drifted away from the truth is that churches promote spiritual infancy. We have this thing called seeker-sensitive churches these days where they want to gear the message of the gospel and the message of the Bible down to a lower level so that they can attract a larger crowd. And then the crowd comes in there and they hear the same message over and over that you need to be saved. No more training. No more development. You just need to be saved. Come experience our great, exciting music. They are promoting spiritual infancy. And therefore, nobody in the church has enough spiritual power in them to go out and be effective in the workplace, in the marketplace, in their homes, in the neighborhood. And they're not making an impact anywhere because they're stuck in this downward spiraling cycle of drifting away from the truth of God because churches have drifted away from the truth of God. Now I already know that this episode is going to turn off a whole bunch of pastors out there because the pastors out there have bought into this system. I've turned away from all that, and I've gone back to the truth of the scriptures. I'm following the model of Jesus Christ himself, who never built a building, never started a seminary. He never tried to seek a large crowd. He never sought to acquire finances to grow his empire using business and marketing schemes. He never wanted people to stay as spiritual infants, but he wanted them to grow and produce fruit and have a greater inheritance in the kingdom of God. If the church is to reverse its course and reclaim its calling to be Christ's kingdom representatives of reconciliation, expanding his agenda on earth, then the church must become intentional about discipleship The church must develop and have an end goal in mind. They must know how to move a person from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity so that that person can go out and influence the world where they work, where they go to school, where they live, in their neighborhoods, in the marketplaces of life. Churches need to help believers discover their spiritual gifts and begin to use them together in unity. If your church is not a church that is training you, that is equipping you for the work of the ministry, then why are you going there? So the church, along with individual believers, have largely been at drift, and this problem needs to be corrected now I'm going to take a short break, and when I return, we'll talk about our God, who is an intentional God.
1: My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The sweetest he shall come with trumpet sound Oh may I then in him be found Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless to stand before the throne The solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand
0: Welcome back to our show. I hope you're enjoying the music during the breaks. The music is being performed either by myself or by my daughter. I'm so glad that my daughter can join me in these episodes through music. If you like our music, why don't you drop on over to our website and give us some feedback and tell us what you think about it. So we're here talking about the difference between drifting and having an intentional life in Christ. You know, when you think about it, God is an intentional being. You can see this from the very beginning pages in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep and over the waters, and with great intent, God is forming and filling an empty and void earth into a state of goodness. During this whole time, God is speaking with creative intention, using phrases such as, let there be light. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and dry ground appear. Let the land produce vegetation of seed-bearing plants. Let there be lights in the expanse. Let the waters teem with creatures and let the birds fly across that expanse. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And of course, the crowning statement, and let us make man in our own image. And the Bible repeats over and over that it was good, and it was good, and it was good. From the very beginning, we see that God spoke with great intention and purpose when he commanded mankind to be fruitful and to multiply and subdue the earth and fill the earth and rule over the earth. Now, of course, not a few pages later, we see that Satan tries to usurp that intentionality that God had placed into the earth and into mankind. Satan deceived Eve and caused Adam to disobey the command of God, thereby breaking that intention that was built into creation. Later we see that God works through intention again by sacrificing an animal and covering the sins of Adam and Eve using the skins from that blood sacrifice of an animal. We also see later on that God worked through intention when he accepted Abel's offering of the animal sacrifice after the pattern of God but rejected the sacrifice of Cain that was from the field that didn't follow the pattern of God. Later, we see that God was intentional once again by curbing human depravity, pride, and arrogance through the flood of Noah and through the confusion of languages at the Tower of Babel. Then we see God being intentional once again when he chose Abram out of all the nations to form a new nation through whom the world would be reconciled back to God. And we see God working again with intentionality when he called the Hebrew children and through Moses led them from Egyptian bondage into the promised land. Through the great and mighty miracles of the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, and the miraculous provisions that God made through the wilderness as God's people traveled to their promised destination. God was definitely intentional when he delivered his chosen people through Joshua into the promised land, miraculously defeating the giants that had set up great stronghold positions throughout the land of Canaan. And of course, God was very intentional about choosing the great leader, David, the man after God's own heart, who ended up consolidating the kingdom of God, living by the principles that God had created. Later, we see that God was intentional once again by correcting the people through calling out the prophets to preach his word to the people. And through the prophets, we learned about the coming Messiah that would eventually redeem humanity from all sin. And then, of course, we see that uh, God was super intentional by sending his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world, just as he had promised through the promised lineage to pay the redemption price our sin and to empower us through the Holy Spirit to live as new covenant people to accomplish his kingdom purposes here on earth. So we see clearly that the nature of God the Father himself is one of intention and one of power and one who makes into reality that which he wills to happen. Galatians 4, 4-5 confirms this as we read. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, if God the Father is a God of intention, and if we are created in the image of God, then should we not also be people of intention who live out purposeful lives? Also, I'd like to point out the fact that Jesus himself lived an intentional life of purpose and direction and vision. Contrary to popular opinion inside the church today, Jesus was not this wandering, withdrawn hippie who drifted from place to place, meeting with random people without any goals or purposes. It's a shame that contemporary religion has portrayed Jesus in such a light Because the end result is actually that Christians themselves have turned out to live such a drifting, timid, shameful, unpurposed life themselves. I would like to propose to you today that nothing that Jesus said or did was without purposeful intention. There were no chance meetings. There were no chance words. Everything was all done out of predetermined divine purposes of God. From the very beginning pages of the gospel, we read this. In Luke chapter 4 verse 33, it reads, But Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Are you going to deny this verse that says Jesus was sent with purpose into the world? Did you know that Jesus purposefully prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples? Did you know that the 12 apostles were already chosen in advance to those prayers? I'd like to point your attention to Chuck Missler's study on the names of the apostles as found in the Old Testament Hebrew text in equidistant letter sequencing patterns. The point is is that you can find the names of the 12 apostles that were intentionally written into the Hebrew Old Testament text long before Jesus ever walked on the earth. Of course I must point out the fact that not all 12 are mentioned, only 11 are actually mentioned. The name of Judas is never found in the Old Testament Hebrew text. However, the Hebrew text does say that one would betray Jesus, and that one prophecy was fulfilled in Judas, who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was prophesied in the Old Testament. Are you still denying that Jesus lived a life of purpose? Let me read to you John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day Jesus purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, "Follow me." First Peter one twenty says Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. We read in John chapter five verse thirty where Jesus says, "I can do nothing on my own; as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." So we have these Christians out there who say that they're living like Jesus, meaning that they are living an intentional life of drifting without purpose, just waiting for something to happen. I propose to you that this attitude of drifting is actually a doctrine of demons that has infiltrated the church and caused you to stop being engaged in fulfilling the plans of Jesus in this age. The Christian with a no agenda mentality is in reality a drifter. Actually, when you think about it, true love is filled with intentionality. Do you have any children Would you treat your children without any purpose or intention in life? Would you say, oh, just go do whatever you want? Of course not. A true loving parent would want their children to have a positive future. They would want their children to use their gifts and talents for the glory of God. They would want their children to impact the world for Christ and be the best that they could be. And they would help their child to move out there into the world with this intentionality. Are you going to deny the intentionality in Jesus' words when he said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Are you going to deny the intentionality when Jesus said these words, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Are you going to deny the intentionality in these words of Jesus? Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, And they will condemn him and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and will kill him. And after three days he will rise again. Are you going to deny Jesus' intentionality, oh you drifter out there? Are you going to deny the intentionality of Jesus in this statement? In John chapter 10 verses 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And then finally, are you going to deny the intentionality of these verses in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20? And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, you Christians out there who say, Let go and let God. Oh, you drifters out there, you are denying your purpose in life to be disciple makers. Stop being a drifter! Start living a life of intentionality and purpose in making disciples in the kingdom of God as he has actually commanded you to do in this present age with all authority. Stop living by default and instead start living by decision. Instead of drifting, you need to apply all intentionality and determination to live out your faith To meet God's agenda, his plan, and his purposes, and his processes in this life. It's all spelled out in the scriptures for you. After a short break, we'll return and I'll explain some practical ways that you can live more intentionally as a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. We
2: will abandon it all. For the sake of the call, no other reason at all. But the sake of the call, wholly devoted to live and to die. For the sake of the call, nobody stood and applauded them so they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame all they really knew for sure was jesus had called to them he said come follow me and they came with reckless abandon they came empty nets lying there at the water's edge, told a story that few could believe and none could explain, how some crazy fishermen agreed to go where Jesus led, with no thought of what they would gain. For Jesus had called them by name And they answered We will abandon it all For the sake of the call No other reason at all But the sake of the call Holy, a Live and to die for the sake of the cold Drawn like rivers are drawn to the sea. And there's no turning back, for the water cannot help but flow. Once we hear the say Yours call will follow wherever He leads Because of the love He has shown And because He has called us to go We will answer, we will abandon it all For the sake of the call To live and to die For the sake of the cold
0: To the final segment of our show. In this segment, we want to give you some practical advice for living more intentionally as a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. But before we get started, I'd like to read some quotes about intentionality. Washington Irving once said, Great minds have purposes, others have wishes. Larry Wingant once wrote, Nobody ever wrote down a plan to be broke, fat, lazy, or stupid. Those things are what happen when you don't have a plan. John Maxwell also said that the law of intentionality is that growth doesn't just happen. Life is in session, and are you present? John Maxwell also said, You will never change your life until you change something you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. It has also been said that a true intention or belief does not need to be spoken. It is revealed through one's action. And then I'd like to say there are three types of people. Those who make things happen. Those who watch things happen. And those who wonder what happened. Which kind of person are you? Our Heavenly Father wants us to seek him about the present and about the future. Our Heavenly Father wants us to plug in with what Jesus' kingdom is up to. Our Heavenly Father wants us to become more intentional in advancing the kingdom of God. All the while, we enjoy our roles as sons, daughters, husbands, wives, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, professionals, business owners, citizens, missionaries, scientists, innovators, entrepreneurs, activists, journalists, judges, chefs, teachers, programmers, etc. All who work together for the cause of liberty in Christ. So what are some things you can do to practically live more intentional for Jesus Christ? First, you can realize that your life is made up of choices. Every morning is a new day full of decisions and opportunities. You have a choice in the matter. You do not need to be stuck in the same pattern of living that you have been for years. Realize that every morning is a new opportunity. Second, you can evaluate the culture that you're swimming in. Life is not lived in a vacuum. It's lived surrounded by a culture that is moving somewhere. Much of this culture around us forms a swift downstream current. But living an intentional life will require you to take a step forward and evaluate the flow of the stream to determine where it's headed and how it's moving you in the wrong direction from what you desire. Third, you need to examine yourself. Who are you? Who has God made you to be? Get a strong handle on your passions, talents, abilities, and weaknesses. Give some precious time and energy to this endeavor. It's one of the most valuable things you can do in being more intentional. Fourth, decide to live your life. Stop comparing yourself to others. You were not born into their life. There is no sense in wasting your life being jealous of theirs. Instead, you were born to live your life, your kingdom assignment. Determine today to be good at it, whatever it is. After all, you only get one shot. Fifth, define a purpose in your life. Identify what you want your life to communicate and to contribute to others. Find a passion to live for that is bigger than yourself. Write it down. It will bring new meaning to your life. It'll wake you up from the slow death of only living for yourself. Sixth, set goals. Goals help to move us forward, and they help to shape us. Set goals that are directly in line with your defined purpose. By their very nature, they will introduce intentionality into your life. Seventh, stay focused. We live in a world of constant connectivity and distraction that is begging for our attention nearly every moment of the day. Learn to turn off those distractions and live your life instead. Turn off the television. Remove non-essential physical belongings that are robbing you of your time and energy. And eighth, learn from others. Successful people are usually curious people. They possess the humility to learn from others. Identify those people around you who are accomplishing your purpose and goals, and then study them and learn from them. So, determine to live decisively. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Elevate correct priorities in life. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Increase your time in God's word and prayer. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another together with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then expect God to move. For I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Set some goals in life. Be intentional about strengthening your relationship with God through prayer, worship, and Bible study. Be intentional in your relationships with believers, unbelievers, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and in local churches. Be intentional in your resources, using your time, your possessions, money, influence wisely for the kingdom of God. Be intentional in your spiritual development, being willing to give up things, to lay things down, to press forward to the upward call of Christ Jesus. Be intentional in your disciple-making. Ask yourself this question. What do you hope will be true of the person you're discipling a year from now? What do you hope will be true of the person you're discipling 10 years from now? What about 40 years from now? Answering these questions should shape how you invest your time and resources into your disciples. Develop an intentional plan to take your disciples through. A process of discipleship, of spiritual maturity. This is exactly how disciple-making ministry started I felt a need to develop a plan to disciple someone from spiritual infancy all the way through maturity. Out of the research came disciple-making ministries. I'll close today's episode with this story. Once upon a time, there was a student who came up to a master asking to be taught the art of swordsmanship. The master agreed and quickly gave the student a broom and assigned him menial duties of sweeping, washing dishes, etc. This continued for a month. Then one day the master snuck up behind the student and hit him with a stick. The student was surprised and thought this was the master's invitation to begin learning swordsmanship. But the master simply told him to continue with his duties. For many years this scenario would repeat itself. The student would be engaged in a menial task, expecting the master's attack to come from around the next corner, and then the attack would come from a totally different direction. One day the master snuck up on the student and started to strike him, when the student turned around quickly and blocked the blow. The master then said, Now your training can begin. Now that you have learned all these essentials of disciple making, such as hope, faith, love, prayer, identity in Christ, and intentionality, now your training can begin. Well, next week, we ask you to join us. We're going to have a guest speaker, and he's going to come and share some about discipleship and why he's involved in a disciple-making ministry. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic... If you have comments or any feedback. If you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers. If you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum. If you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook. If you'd like to sign up for our next disciple-making webinar. If you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal... Then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214-377-1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean, as well as sharing the news about our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.